Hey everyone, welcome to the OFD podcast. I am your host, site manager Joshua Bowles, and today uh, got a little something different for you. With me, as usual, is Jude Seymour, editor of What to Put Down. Jude, say hello. Hey everyone. And joining us special is Philip One L Goff. And uh, Phil, say hello to everybody for us. Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. All right, so. Uh, not much distance uh, from the last podcast here, but we still have plenty to talk about. Spring football is coming up here soon, but um, one thing that is definitely going on on the site is uh, uh, after Philip got done with his uh, winter hibernation, he uh, hit the lab and, and is putting out some uh, a new series where he's uh, one play. So he's taking one play from from each game from Notre Dame's twelve wins and uh, and breaking it down, basically talking about. Um, you know, the importance of the play and then t- talking about how it came about. So, Phil, you want to you just talk a little bit about that for a minute? Yeah, so um, essentially I get to a point in every offseason where, like, I've already searched YouTube for every single, like, highlight and pump-up video there is and then just, like, kind of fall into a place where I'm really starting to miss football. So this was kind of, uh, kind of for me a way to, like, slowly get back into the pace before spring football. So... The thought is to take a look at one play from each of the 12 wins and not break down like the biggest or like best play, but um, kind of pick a play that I think was the defining moment or a turning point or like a like a critical spot in the game uh, that turned things around and take an approach where it's not just here's the highlight of the play, um, but use a little bit um, kind of, of like a X's and O's approach of kind of how the uh, how the play unfolded. So. For me, it's kind of a way just to to get back into the swing of football, brush up on some of the old plays, and also kind of take myself to a place where I, you know, you remember some of the emotions of where you were when those plays happened, um, both kind of good and bad. So it's been fun so far. Now, we're, we're through uh, three games right now, through Michigan, uh, Ball State, and Vanderbilt, correct? Yeah. Of those three, wh- which, one, which one was the most interesting to you so far that, uh, of those three? Um, I would probably say the Michigan play, um, because I think like, so I'm a like avid Chris Fink fan. So I went into it being like, oh, I'm absolutely just going to use that bomb because it was awesome. Um, but I actually looked a little bit earlier and I remember when the, so it was the, it was like a third down, uh, in the first quarter Notre Dame was at their own like nine yard line and they, uh, Wimbush made a great pass, um, to Alize Mack for a little like, again. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he made he made a pretty good toss, and uh, I was just so surprised that Alize Mack caught it after the amount of like alligator arms that he had had. Um, so it was just for me, it was like a sign of hope, being like, "Oh man, Wimbush has really figured it out. He's like nailing these difficult throws." Um, and then two, Alize Mack is catching a ball in traffic and holding it down. Now I don't think either one of them had like a breakout season, but for me, it was just like a like a moment of. Like, oh, man, Wimbush is going to be incredible, and Alize Mack is going to be a beast. Now, the season went great, but, like, that play, I just remember, like, emotionally being like, wow, we've got something here. Yeah, and there was – and really, there was so much involved in that play. I, like, <clears throat> I thought it was a great choice on your part because not only was it a, a nice throw and catch deep in your territory to, to you know, to get you out, but that was also when uh, Montalus – I mean, that was a targeting call, and so then he gets kicked out of the game, so – Michigan's down a starter on that play. That's that. That's the one, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he he took a shoulder right to the dome. 
Yeah, so really, I mean, you're dead on. That was probably about as big as a play as any, including the the mossing of uh, of Chris Fink, I would say. Yeah, and the mossing that the mossing play came later that drive. Um, so again, for me, it just set up that whole drive. I think most importantly that it was it was third and third and nine back up in their own territory. So it's either they get that play and they continue and drive for a touchdown, or they punt out of their own end zone and Michigan could tie the game up seven seven. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, <clears throat> me just mentioning that reminded me to ask you this: Are you, uh, were you are you surprised at some of the pushback? I've, I've noticed on 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 your post, people are quick to <laughs> quick to point out, you know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but uh, they're quick to point out what uh, what play it should have been, and so the one that you picked out. Are you surprised at the pushback, or or? Have you been doing this long enough now that you're like me? You just realize you're always going to get pushed back. I mean, I think I'm always going to get pushed back, but that's honestly, that's, that's some of the, the most fun for me. But a lot of people, I think everyone was like, oh, it's a thing play, it's a thing play, it's a thing play. And I just want to do something a, a little bit different and break it down more from like an X and O's perspective of like what made that play happen, as opposed to the, the think play, which was an unbelievable catch, but it was a route that Wimbush should have thrown faster uh, because, you know, Fink was wide open. So he kind of took his time, took an extra hit, hitch, and then tossed it up into double, double coverage. So, like, it was more that was, like, a great individual play by one player where the other play was, like, a critical down and, like, great execution from kind of every point of view. So it's kind of wanted to take, like, a little bit more accidental approach because so I'm, like, trying to get back into – understanding so i played college football and played safety at holy cross um shout out crusaders um, patriot league patriot league love the patriot league full scholarships this is now they're like full-on live scholarships right after i left so still bitter (laughs) (laughs) yeah so is your checkbook yes um but at the end of the day i want to break it down and just give people a little bit idea of some of the coverages what the quarterbacks are looking for and just provide a little bit more of like an analytical type approach you know, and speaking of the Patriot League, I noticed there's a Notre Dame has a big junior day going on this weekend, and one of the um, one of the recruits I can't quite remember which one off the top of my head, but uh, his his only his only division his only FBS offer might be Syracuse or something like that, or maybe yeah. it's BC. It's BC, but then it's just like Patriot League down the list. Oh yeah, so, so I was you get you get it's like you can tell exactly who like a Patriot League recruit is. Um, it's either like a, like Harvard was on there too. So, so the kid, okay. ha- the kid has a is it probably a pretty decent brain inside the decent brain inside that. Brain. Yeah. So for yeah. Patriots, it's always, it's always kind of funny as, as my brain is like scrambled on a Friday night right now. <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing that I always think about with Patriot league recruits, it's either like a very big running back who's not quite that fast or like a really small running back who is really fast so you'd never get the like perfect combination of guys who are like really big and really strong and really fast there's always like something a bit off as to why they didn't get like the 1a scholarship and then it's hysterical when the guys fall through the cracks that somehow should have been there and they just like dominate the patriot league <laughs> that's i mean that's exactly how it is i would you know that's what bothers me about espn is that uh you know i mean i'm 40 so I don't know why you have to say that, but I'm just dating myself. But way back in the day when ESPN covered college football, when I was 
you know, in my early teens or even before that, like, you know, they used like the, the game, the, the game day final, whatever was a lot more inclusive and the, where Patriot league games were actually talked about and scores showed up and all that. And, uh, I remember as a kid, I just, I don't know, maybe it was just the names of all the Patriot league schools that, that drew me in. And I, what's funny is I find my son who's uh, going to be eight here in a couple months is the same way. Like when you, when you talk when I just talking, you know, with him about schools and teams and like that, if I say like, especially with the NCAA tournament, like, like he's never picked against a, uh, like a Patriot league named school in, in the, in his bracket picks. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I, know right. I, I maybe so. I mean, he is, he's a pretty bright kid. He's got more on his, more up there than his old man does. So, but, uh, <laughs> what, the, what did you notice doing this? Did you, were there other things that you, cause you know, when, just, you know, from having to cover this and, and really been as intensive as I've been over the last, you know, four or five years, you know, there's so much that, that we miss. And, and like, you know, you, you were up in the press box uh, for us a, a couple of times. And mm-hmm. did you notice going through, like you were, you were in the box for Vanderbilt game, right? Yeah. Vandy and Pitt. So two absolute like nail biters. Right. So, but, and you did the, you did the one play for Vanderbilt this time around. Did you notice anything? Um, the, did more things stick out going back? I mean, I'm sure you watched watched it again afterwards, but yeah. Now that you're looking and you're you're pinpointing things, was there something that stuck out more now than it than it did, you know, this fall? Yeah, I think I think a couple things so far um, that have stuck out, um, which are which are so far just through the first three games that I don't think I realized at the time is just I think it will fit in well with the with the topic today is the burst of Jafar Armstrong. So, so far where I'm at right now, there's been zero coverage of Dexter Williams. He's out for the first four games. Um, and just the burst of Jafar going through the hole um, has made me like relax a lot about last, about next year, especially just in the, in the ball state game, just seeing a couple of like, I think it was one of the, in the first quarter, he had like a, I'll say like a 45 or a 50 yard run where someone just catches his cleat. But he looks fast. Um, and so that's like rejuvenated me after seeing, obviously, Dexter Williams go. And I was kind of looking um, actually at the post that you wrote, the Irish eyes and the running back. And a lot of the concern seems to be like there's no home run guy. There's no home run guy. Jafar is like a solid back. But I look at that and I'm like, this guy's an elite. He seems like he's going to be an elite athlete. Um for when he was healthy last year, his burst through the hole, his vision, and the fact that he was that raw at running back, where now he gets, again, an entire new spring and is the big man on campus. I think he's really surprised me looking back at what his productions were, mostly because I think when we were looking at the running back position to start the year last year, it was just like, get us through until Dexter comes back. Right, right. Now, bringing up this Ball State game, and I, I still think like the Ball State game itself was like the biggest enigma not just because of how close it ended up being, but because of the way Notre Dame played the game. Yeah. Like, like first of all, going, you know, going into the week, and Jude, you can correct me if I'm wrong, didn't it have a feel of, of uh, you know, even Brian Kelly was talking about, like, putting in the freshman, like, which quarter? Like, like this was, like, the most openly overlooked game that I can remember, at least during the Brian Kelly era. Did, did, that, did that make sense to you too, Jude? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
my recollection is that people were asking when Phil Jerkovic was going to come in, whether it was going to Jerkovic. I'm sorry if I'm not saying that correctly, uh, whether it was going to be until the second half or if we could squeeze him in the second quarter when the game was a, was going to be an absolute laugher. Um, you know, we were looking forward to seeing all of the freshmen, uh, you know, the defensive linemen, the Adam Ola twins um, and just, you know, check check out those running backs that we got. Um, so there was, and I think it was Julian Love, if I recall correctly, who just who's flat out said to the to the to the media, "Yeah, we completely overlooked this team. We completely overlooked uh, Ball State, and we just thought we were gonna we we're gonna cakewalk through this. And we didn't practice we didn't practice with the intensity that we usually practice with. Um, you know, it was a lot more of a loose thing. And guess what? It was a game. Yeah, it it was the the one of the most blatant things. And I guess I didn't think about it much during the week, but that was the game where I decided to, Hey, I'm gonna take my son to the game for the first time. And I'm telling him, you know, get ready for all these touchdowns and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then you're sitting there and <laughs> I got, uh, I had uh, Mike Miller, you know, who was shooting our photos for us. I, I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to be in the stands with my son. We're right down there. Can you get some shots of us in the, and the thing, yeah, and like most of his pictures are like me, like gripping my cell phone, <laughs> like, like in a desperate attempt to like search for answers about what the hell, you know, was going on. Um, right. but, and, uh, and, and later in the year, when when the playoff talk heated up, that that was the cudgel that people were using. You yeah. barely beat Ball State. You barely beat Vanderbilt. You know how many times did people make make that, um, you know, assumption or suggestion that. Notre Dame should not be in the playoff because they barely beat, you know, if it wasn't for, and, and we talked about, you know, the play that the Phil picked and, and I've, I've got no objection to it, but you know, GL and Elliot doesn't break up that pass on fourth down. Um, we're looking at, you know, this, that's a whole different outcome possibly uh, in that Vanderbilt game. So, um, you know, a lot of people were like, you were one play away from losing the Vanderbilt game. Well, I don't know if I agree with that, but I see their, I see their point and, and, right. um, you know, that two straight weeks of sort of that that lethargy and the defense being on the field the whole time, you, you just knew it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you, I think you could have, like, Notre Dame could have had that close game against Vanderbilt, and people would have thought it was no big deal. It was just a close game um, against a Power 5 school. But if they would have blown out Ball State like they were supposed to. Like, like you get the one, but you don't get the other, you know? Like, I, right. I think even if they, if they would have – beat Vanderbilt by, you know, two, three touchdowns, they still go back to this Ball State game. And I, I and, and I want to ask about the Phil, I want to ask you this. Yeah. The game plan for that Ball State game, outside of, like, the completely overlooking all that, was, like, the most disrespectful game plan I could ever remember. Because yeah. they totally went against what they do. Like, they were, like, whether – and you never got a straight answer, but whether it was Notre Dame or Brandon Wimbush or whoever, Chip Long, Brian Kelly, Father <laughs> Jenkins, whoever made the decision <laughs> that Brandon was going to be, that was going to be the game he was going to basically practice his passing. Yeah. You know, how many times did he get out of the pocket? And there's grass. And yeah. he just, he stays back there and he's trying to find, you, you, wouldn't you think like after like a quarter and a half, I mean, and I guess that it, it didn't feel as close in the first half as it did in the second half, but it just felt so uh, forced that they were going to do this come hell or high water. And it almost completely bit them in the ass. Um, th- does that make sense? And, th- 
like nobody can explain it that way without yeah. losing face, you know? Yeah, no, and that's that's exactly what I was seeing when I was because I was actually I was at that game too. So I was with my I was with my family. Um, some of my wife's family went to Ball State, but they're also Notre Dame fans. So it was like the perfect day for them because they were like, "Hey, this is a all we wanted was Notre Dame to win and Ball State to be competitive." So they were they were really happy. But I remember thinking in that game, I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" I'm like, "We're th- Wimbush is throwing the ball all over the place, and it seems like he was actively hesitant to take off and run." And so it's like it was almost as if the coaches said, "Hang in the pocket, try to make the throws, look to your second and third reads." don't take off running. And when there were multiple times where if he would have just taken off running, not sat in the pocket, he was better. And I'm confident that he'd be better than a guy chasing him on the edge where I noticed a couple times in the game, he had like some big long scrambles that would take like 30 seconds and he would end up like being sacked for negative 17 yards. And, and it was, was like spittered around. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I just think if they would have stuck to like a normal game plan, the work they wanted for him to, throw the ball would have been there but yeah. i think i mean ball those ball state is a mac school hail the mac and i'm a big mac guy they're not they're not ridiculous they're not dumb they knew exactly what was going on it didn't take them long to figure out that's exactly what their name's game plan was and so they're going to defend it as such yeah they're not you know they're so now that you're trying to throw it you, they were dropping eight I mean, like basically having this open space, Darren Wimbush to run and he wouldn't, and they're driving back eight and there's, there's nowhere to throw the damn ball to. A hundred percent. It was was like infuriating. (laughs) So, I mean, that is, to me, that was, that was the biggest crime that Brian Kelly, Chip Long, you know, pulled off last year was that game. It was like, at some point they had to rein it in. Yeah. And I just, I don't get the rationale saying like, hey, we don't have a great passer of a quarterback, so let's just change all of that by getting him confidence in one, one game and having him throw the ball all over. It's not like if he goes out there and, you know, even if he does, say, tear it up, it's against a... Ball State, yeah. <laughs> ball State. So, again, it's like you should use him where his strengths are. And it's like in that game, I was thinking about like it could have been like a BC last year where Notre Dame just like runs all over him and have a lot of design runs for Wimbush. I don't think there was... I want to say there was that whole game, there was like one design run for him, and that was in the fourth quarter for him to seal the game. So it's like, yeah, it was on the line. They called a run. He read it correctly and got a first down. So it's like. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, 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 I think that game, and I, I keep saying it, but that is the biggest mystery about, not really why. I think I understand everything about what they were trying to do and all that, but the whole timing of it all, like, like in the the call to keep going. Yeah. Like, why are you not saying, all right, screw it. It's not like you can't simply go back, call a timeout. I mean, which you, I mean, you can simply just call a timeout and say <laughs> enough's enough regular offense, you know, yeah. I mean? and, and or, everything goes back to normal or giant conspiracy. Stick with me here. Um, so big time conspiracy to make the blow a lot less uh, dramatic when they were going to bench him after the next week. Huh? Oh my God, Jude! We're going right into the reptilians. I mean, <laughs> I, I, mean I didn't think we'd get back into it, but we can. Start. But, uh, uh, I no. for I for one welcome our new reptilian overlords. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, it all goes back to to the not a conspiracy, but the rumor that is more true than rumor was about basically you know 
preseason book won the job. And but with Michigan, they really didn't know what they figured they, they would have to have Wimbush's legs to beat Michigan. So regardless of who won the job or not in, in preseason camp, and I think after everybody had saw some a few practices, you know, there's only a couple, but when one is looking way better than the other, and the and the one that wasn't looking good is named the starter. I think this helps solidify that thought that so they use Wimbush to beat Michigan. Well, if you name him your starter and he wins, you got to play him again, right? Yeah. So then they do the Ball State ish, they do the Ball State game, and they completely go against the grain about what how they were supposed to play him, and it was almost a disaster. So you you can't bench him because it's your own fault for your play calling. So then you ha- so then you have to start him against Vanderbilt, and you try to get back to what you were supposed to be doing. And it was just a, it was a rough go. It was a rough game for you, and that makes it the easier call. I mean, does that that all makes sense? No one will admit that, other than most reporters will say that's probably what happened. Am I right? I guess not really a conspiracy, right? That that sounds more. Yeah, no, that sounds it's because it it would be really tough, and they would face some pretty harsh criticism if they would have not played Wimbush after he played very solid football against uh, against Michigan. Um, and I think yeah, the thought was against Michigan, really. It's like he did everything, pretty much did everything right. Um, and so I think there would have been it would have been a tough situation, one for Book to come into. I don't think it would have been a good environment because he would have had probably all of national media being like, "What are what is the world? What is Brian Kelly thinking? Starting Ian Book this game when you talk about the Van, you talk about the Vanderbilt game? Well, I'm talking or just Ball State. I'm talking both because think of think of. Ian Book gets the call that he's going to start versus Ball State. The national media is going to rip into Kelly's decision and question it, just saying, Wimbush played a great game. Why would you put in this backup? And that's, I think that's a lot of pressure, even if against Ball State, to have your to be like transitioned to the starter. Jude, your thought, you got any thoughts on this? Uh, Kelly was criticized when he went to book it for the Wake Forest game. He was going to be criticized anyway. I mean, yeah, I was... but not, not as heavily, though. I mean... Uh, I think there I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of writing on the wall about about that after three games. I, I think that there was plenty of evidence to show, and I think most rational people were just going to kind of roll with it. Or am I or do you, or am I wrong? Do you think I'm wrong on that? No, I just I think that we're talking about uh, a stretch of games that probably Notre Dame fans would like to forget instead of uh, recall in vivid detail nine months Except later. So. <laughs> Yeah, I just I I think it and kind of put a bow on this a little bit. I think it was absolutely it all ties in so well. It has to be that you know. Yeah. I, I I think if Kelly puts if Kelly sits Wimbush after the Ball State debacle, which was coaching more so than Wimbush, I think Kelly and rightfully so would would have got just criticism. I mean, would have just actually been slaughtered in the media by everybody. Yeah. Um, even if even if in the back of your mind it was the right decision, you still slaughter him because how how is that Wimbush's fault when he's played a game that's not his? Yeah. I think that it took a Vanderbilt game to to get him to the point that you know Chip Long was able to finally get you know quote unquote you know his quarterback you know into the game. So okay, we 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 talked about that uh, bad enough. So <laughs> we. We talk about we drug up enough bad memories. I'm so glad you, you're past uh, Ball State and Vanderbilt, Phil, on your 
okay. on your one play. This so week, it like weighs on my heart. So this week having nice Wake Forest, I just walked to highlights highlights today, and I'm like, I can pick plenty of plays, and none of them really matter that much. Do you want to pick out the play where Michael Young gave up a touchdown? Oh. <laughs> he literally just was like, I was no, so, no, I was not so anymore. If you see, if you see Kelly's face, he's just like, what the hell? Why didn't you score a touchdown? I mean, th- there was there was no no reason. He just run was having a stroke that he should have stepped out of bounds on that run. Oh, literally his only that game. I was gonna say literally his only carry of the year, his only rushing attempt of the year. I mean, they literally were like, "We're done here." Was that a rush or was that a was that a quick screen? The I, I thought he, it was a rush. He no, so he that was a quick screen earlier in the game. He got on their first drive. It was like Notre Dame's like fourth or fifth play. He got oh, like a little. Oh. He got an end around and then just they uh, had helmet to ball contact and fumbled it, and they returned it to like the fifteen yard line. So I think that was like that That's, was. A, Mixed I thought up. that's what we were talking about. I apologize. No, I'm no, talking no. about the yeah that six yeah, that seven yard tunnel screen. That just oh right, where he ran a gas. Like around yeah, the five. Yeah. yeah. Like dude, dude, like put your shoulder down and fall forward. And he, I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. I I got visi- I got visibly upset <laughs> inside my house uh, when that play happened. That- it's like Tor- Tory Hunter against USC in 2015, right? Do you guys remember that play? This, it was the guy, kind of play that turned the tide, if I recall correctly. He fumbled like maybe at the one yard line or whatever. Oh, he was about yeah. to score, and they were about to go up maybe three scores at that point. They were really blowing the doors off USC, and then all of a sudden USC came back into the game. Oh yeah. Anyways, <laughs> why am I dre- why am I dredging up bad memories for Larry? You want to talk about Andrew Hendricks, didn't you? <laughs> I, I Oh my god. Was that wait wait that was 2013 right that was 13 yeah yeah okay yeah. never mind I brought up Andrew Hendricks so shame on me <laughs> all right so <laughs> moving on here something we've already kind of touched um, touched a little bit on but uh, as as we did in uh, our last podcast we talked about the linebackers today we're gonna look at a position group and um, and one that uh, that's a little more easier to define than what the linebacker situation is right now. Uh, but we're going to take a look at the running backs. And Notre Dame's got a very large roster full. and But yet there's still plenty of questions. And Jude, I'm going I'm to start off with you. Last season, you know, Notre Dame goes into, the, goes into the season knowing that for four games there's no Dexter Williams. And so there was a basically a triumvirate of uh, – of Tony Jones Jr., Jafar Armstrong, and Avery Davis. And I, th- I, th- I think we were all a little nervous, um, and rightfully so. Tony Jones Jr., who, who I, I, I like as a running back, still has never proven to be a, a, a lead back. Jafar Armstrong is a converted wide receiver. Avery Davis is a converted quarterback wide receiver. And I think there's, a lot, there's enough there to say, oh, dear God, here's Michigan. Um, but they end up making it work for that time, um, you know, that uh, the Dexter was out. Uh, it, they didn't produce a whole lot of yards, but there was quite a bit of production still. I mean, they had two rushing touchdowns against Michigan um, and three rushing touchdowns against Ball State. Um, so let me just let's, – let's touch a little bit on what last year was. How did, how did, how did you feel about going into – before the four games – 
and then during the four games? Well, I think you accurately uh, summarized how I felt, which was a, a bunch of question marks. Um, you know, during the four games, I obviously was happy with the performance of Armstrong. He was a touchdown mach- a scoring machine. Um, I, I had a great uh, hope for something was going to stick. And I, and I thought that we'd see a lot more two back sets when, when Dexter uh, returned and it wasn't the case. Uh, Dexter took 41% of the regular season snaps and he missed four of those games. So he was the, uh, the bell cow back and Tony Jones jr. Basically disappeared after, uh, after Dexter Williams was reinstated. He had 10 carries in a game in a game against Stanford. That was the game that the Williams returned for. Um, and then he didn't, he wasn't really that productive. Armstrong got hurt, uh, missed three games last year in the middle of the season due to a new a knee injury. Right. He when had, Dexter got, came back too, correct? Right. Yep. Um, he had nine carries in his first game back. I think that was against Navy and then basically disappeared. In fact, he only had two carries total versus USC and Clemson. So he was not being used at all. Um, and Avery Davis, uh, had only nine carries total after Williams returned. So for the final, what would be nine games, he had nine carries. So you had Jameer, Jameer, the freshman Jameer Smith and Sebo Flemister. They retained a, a year of eligibility because they only got used in two games each. Um, so they weren't being used either. So it makes me nervous, again, going back into this year, that Dexter Williams isn't here. Um, but like we talked about with the linebackers, that presents an opportunity. Now, I think Phil was the one who said, you know, you look at the the tape on Armstrong and you have to have a reason to be excited. Um, Armstrong is is kind of my one A, um, with Tony Jones Jr. being the one B, and I think they they're a good complement to each other. Armstrong is more of the, um, you know, the juke and jive sort of running back, and Jones is the, you know, put the head down and and three cloud three yards in a cloud of dust sort of guy. Um, I have no idea where Avery Davis fits into this. I know that he completely disappeared after he missed that blitz pickup against Pittsburgh. And the coaches, I think at that point, basically said to him, gave up on him. Yeah. Basically said, I, we have no faith that we can put you in here. And, and, and to be honest with you, if I recall correctly, Dexter Williams had this, has similar fate. He missed a blitz pickup or we're slow on, on something. And they were like, you know, we're done here with you in a, in a previous year. So, um, you know, I, I don't know where Davis fits into this. Obviously, Armstrong's and Jones Jr. We got to see what's. I like Jameer Smith a lot. I think. I mean, I obviously love the fact that he got admitted to every Ivory League school. Um, you know, and ultimately <laughs> chose Notre Dame. Uh, and and I'm 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 very curious what Smith and Flemister do in their second years to really prove that they belong on that field. And then you know the freshmen. Let's see if we can get Kyron Williams in there. If he's making uh he's making an impact. Um, you know, in spring practice and, and in the summer and you can't keep him out of the lineup, then let's see what he can do. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you this because <clears throat> Jude mentioned it there with the two back set. And I think one of the more, I don't, maybe disappointing is too strong of a word, but we know that there are, there is a large section of two back set um, plays inside Chip Long's playbook. Uh, we know it's there. They talked about wanting to use it. And yet last year it was, I, I wouldn't even say infrequent, it was like almost next to nothing. Um, one of the plays, though, that we saw it was just that gorgeous, uh, basically fullback trap where 
Um, Dexter's lined up at the tail, uh, and uh, Jafar was lined up uh, basically as an offset fullback, and they basically just ran a straight trap play that nobody was in existence, you know, within a mile of uh, Armstrong going in. And there's a few other plays. That one will always stick out because it was just so, like, Red Sea opening-like. Do you get... And most of that, I think, was due because of it, you know, obviously because of injuries, and and there never was the right set of guys at one time, I felt like, right season. Do you think next year they will be able to dip into that? I mean, I guess we're all leaning towards more of a Jafar... Jude said, you know, Jafar 1A and Tony 1B, but I, I, I kind of feel it's still basically one and two. Can you see more of that next year? Do you think they have to do more of that next year? I think they do. Um, and I think the point of it will be to get matchups that are favorable for Jafar Armstrong. So doing having like two back sets where he, you know, starts in the backfield and then gets motioned out and then gets picked up by a linebacker. Um, and so doing things like quick screens, like quick slants, uh, and even swing passes, you you can get him in space. Similar and to that, that Navy game, correct? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that was a time where, where we saw some of that. Because he, I mean, he does have some, like, like very, very good receiving skills and, like, skills in the open field with the ball in his hands. So I think any way that they can get him in a favorable matchup will be huge. And I, the one play that really stuck out to me, it was, like, a play, I think, versus Northwestern, where um, uh, Book ended up kind of, it was a broken play. Book was rolling to his right. And Jafar Armstrong was dragging across the field, got his arm up, got open, caught it, caught the ball like 15, 20 yards downfield and got his feet in bounds. And so his ability to, one, just have matchups against linebackers in general is going to be huge. And I think they're going to use him a ton in the passing game this year. Um, I hope it's sort of like they use Theo Riddick. Um, I know that's a, a bit of a stretch, and I think Armstrong is a bit more of a power guy and not quite as shifty um, as Riddick, but just in a similar vein where they would get him in great matchups in space and then he could take advantage of it and then have Tony Jones kind of be the, you know, every down type of bruiser back. Yeah. I think that passing component's huge. I mean, what's everybody's favorite route, you know, the wheel route, right? I mean, when it happens, everybody's screaming the wheel route. And we saw Tony Jones jr. Who is not a very fast pack. Get what was that? A 51 yard touchdown. You know, off of that against SC to to basically help win the game there. Um, is is that encouraging to see? I mean, even Brock Wright. I mean, I think we got to bring Brock Wright into the conversation. I, I wish he would get rid of the number eighty nine and just like go with like nine, so I can just literally call him fullback and and feel like my life's complete. But you know, even so, but with him lining up as a fullback, do you, are we going to see more of that kind of attack next year? I just. I think I have just kind of a feeling like Dexter was just so, you know, just, just such a, an immense talent with how he could accelerate and, and accelerate plus have top end speed that, you know, we don't have that. I think, I think Jafar has great acceleration, but Which even is, that ball state game that you mentioned. That, yeah. He doesn't have that next gear that Dexter has. Right. Adams has. So I think they need to do, they need to really game plan or, you know, draw it in the dirt, some some better play, some more dynamic plays that I have to come for the passing game using the running backs. Um, is that kind of how you feel? Are we going to see more of what we saw in the first four games last year, or are we going to see an evolution, um, you know, of, of how they use those guys? Because to me, it seems like it's the same components. 
I don't think you're going to get any more out of Avery Davis than what he is, right? And we know who Tony Jones Jr. is. We think we know who Jafar Armstrong is. And regardless of the of you know what Kyron Williams is or or Sebo or Jameer Smith, we have a basic sense of what we have, right? I mean, the, I mean, more so than maybe in previous years. Yeah, I think they're going to scheme some more stuff up. Um, I mean, I don't think they'll have the ability to like have confidence that you know at any point a running back this year could break a you know 60, 70, 80, 90 yard touchdown. So we just I don't think we're going to have the absolute home run factor. I think we're going to have a handful of backs who can make you know a 30 or 40 yard run um maybe even maybe even 50 but i think we're going to see a lot of scheming things up uh not like trick plays or anything like that but using things like those traps and two back sets using swings using wheel routes just trying to create matchups that are favorable that will allow book to make a judgment call to get the ball out quickly um and i think that's a pretty big difference is that this spring they'll have it geared up because if you remember Wimbush's like worst throw was like a swing route or a quick screen or anything that would get the ball into someone's hands quickly, which is book's biggest strength. So the ability to couple that with the running backs, you know, pass catching ability, especially I think that Kyron Williams has um, will be really interesting to see. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it's, I think it's going to evolve during the year. I don't think it's going to be something where they say, this is our strategy. We're going to just hammer it home. And the running back position is kind it's kind of interesting to me just because there are a lot of unknowns and unknown for me is optimism, um, which not everyone shares that sentiment, but it's like, what, the, what, what can Avery Davis do? What can Kyron Williams do? You know, what does Sibo and Jameer look like after a year in the weight room and a like year not playing? Like a lot of those unknowns are exciting to me as opposed to scary right now. And I say that before the first game. So it's a time. To <laughs> well, and a Van Gordelis first game. <laughs> but uh, Jude, let me ask you, just looking ahead a little bit here to in, into the season and into the schedule, you know, the, the game that sticks out the most, I think, obviously, is the game in Athens against Georgia. The last time Notre Dame played Georgia, it was pretty evident that although we had some speed at running back, we really got killed um, with Georgia's team speed on defense. Do you think that because we don't have that that absolute home run back um, like Josh Adams or like Dexter Williams, do you think that actually helps Notre Dame in a way? Do you think they can turn that negative into positive where they can just, you know, I've, we've seen it before from Notre Dame teams in the past and not necessarily Brian Kelly teams, but other years where, all right, we're just going to go down there and beat the shit out of these guys. You know, they're going to have a huge, I think, something none of us have mentioned so far about our running backs is our offensive line. Well, you know, we're returning basically at everybody except for Mustafer and Rulin will go right into that spot most likely. So you have basically five starters, um, you know, coming back, you know, on the line is Georgia a game where we can go down there and be like, we're going to go out physical. These guys, we you go know, with our running game. You think that's a possibility? It's absolutely a possibility. I just I haven't scouted Georgia enough to know what they return on the on the defensive line to know, you know how how we how our team matches up with with their team. Um, I'm I'm very much hoping for improvement in the the offensive line. Um, we knew we were going to have a regression after Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson left. Um, I felt like Dan Mustafer, uh, 
you know, I hate to speak ill of the guy, but I felt like he really went backwards in his play uh, in the center in the last year. And I also thought that, you know, this the situation with with Hainsey and, and Kramer and, and, and Eichenberg, it really never felt real settled and it never felt like a, a cohesive group. And so I'm, I'm very much hoping that um, this is the year that it all it all comes together, because, you know, obviously 2017 showed us exactly what it looks like when it comes together. And, uh, you know, Josh Adams got himself a, a you know, signing bonus and, and uh, a contract with the Eagles because of all the holes, the huge holes that that <laughs> offensive line um, opened up for him. So, uh, you know, Georgia, Georgia will definitely be the test. And, you know, they may have to get creative in terms of um, not, you know, doing looks that they haven't shown in the past to kind of keep Georgia off guard because, if they're anything like the 2017 Georgia's team, that's going to be a very long day. Yeah, it's hard to imagine them being much different. You know, their personnel will be uh, quite a bit different. It's hard to imagine the scheme and just what they have, the way they've reloaded uh, recruiting. Um, and, and so speaking of recruiting, Phil, let me, let me ask you this. Obviously, it's been pretty widely publicized about Autry Denson's lack of recruiting production um, during his time at Notre Dame, and j- just the, you know, if we just want to go off the star factor, uh, if you will, do you, uh, I mean, do you think that's necessary for a Notre Dame football team? How important is that for them to be a playoff caliber team each, you know, year in and year out? And, you know, maybe one of these days even win a playoff game. Um, do you think, do you think that? That was what's holding us back because last year we had that guy with Dexter Williams, but that seems to be like one of the scapegoats right now is that we're lacking that that dynamic playmaker um, on offense. And we had it, you know, last year in a game where they said that we lacked it. Um, so how important is that really? Am, am I am I reading too much into that and 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 battling that too much, or or what are your thoughts there? I mean, I think we just haven't. I mean, Williams is a four-star guy. Adams is a three-star guy. So I just well, can't... Adams, I, I I will correct everybody. Adams was a four-star guy. Oh, he was a four-star guy. Yeah. And yes. one, yeah. I thought in one side he might have been a three. But that's, he he well, started that's painted into my brain. <laughs> he started off as a three, went up to a four, even being injured, and just and just stayed there. Yeah. Uh, so it it, it might have been in one ranking. I mean, of all the recruiting services, I imagine there could have been a he could have been ranked as a three-star. But as far as the what 24-7 you look back on the composite and he was a four-star running back recruit. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think it'll, they need to get either a lower star guy who ha- who has like absolute burner speed um, or they need to go out and, you know, really focus on getting one of those, you know, top five, top 10 running backs in the class. Cause I just feel like they haven't had that where a guy coming out who can really take over a game it's always been a guy who needs to develop a little bit which I think Archie Denson you know for whatever his recruiting woes were did a great job of coaching those guys up uh, I don't think anyone can deny that but it just seems like we were never really in the running for some of those like huge big time recruits and again not all of those types of guys pan out but I just see it right now is the the pipeline of guys that are in the they're in Notre Dame guys right now don't necessarily have that star factor. So Josh Adams did, uh, Dexter Williams did, and now it's kind of a bunch of guys who none of them were huge recruits coming out of 
coming out of high school. So I think it's a, it's a big opportunity for some of those guys, but I don't see any of them making like gigantic leaps and being guys who are like studs to take over games. So, you know, if you notice, obviously all the playoff teams generally have a back who can really take over. Um, so it's, you know, not having that next year worries me a little bit, but I think just in the recruiting cycle, they just have to land one of those top guys. Do you think Brian Kelly is a little bit of the problem in this regard? And it, I, and I'm not bashing Brian Kelly, not so much anyways, but just the fact that we, we've gotten those recruits over the years. And you think of like Greg Bryant and these yeah. guys just can't see the field. Even Dexter Williams, who we've known for years, has probably been the most dynamic back on the team and can't get the carries. And it's because of one thing or the other. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the common traits uh, thing, but whether it be they're too worried about him picking up a, pa- a pass blitz. D- do you think that that Kelly focuses too much on the complete back rather than, <clears throat> excuse me, than putting in the, uh, the, the athlete? I, I, I was about to say that. It's, for me, it was always frustrating when you saw what Dexter Williams would do when you just, just literally just get him the ball. So even if, you know, in the seasons that he wasn't playing that much when he wasn't that hurt, he should have been getting the ball like eight to ten times a game you know, he, he's not going to, you don't put him in, in a critical or complex passing down situation, but just get him the ball. Cause he clearly, every time he touched the ball, it was, you know, insane. And this was the first year where I think Kelly just said, you know, kind of F it. I'm going to put in the, put in the athlete and let him run. And it worked <laughs> tremendously. I mean, I know that the, and the, the common thinking was that, you know, they were worried, you know, they just didn't want him out there for running plays, but there's running downs I and mean, people know when it's a running down and it's 90% the defense is keyed on a run. So why would it matter? Especially <laughs> when you have that offensive line. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, so I guess that's my whole point is it does, does Kelly make it too tough for these running backs? And you know, is that, that we know the world of recruiting and it's full of negative recruiting and any time a, a big time, you know, recruiter, like, like an urban Meyer, a Tony Alford, um, uh, you know, what's his face? Uh, Kerry Cooks, uh, who's a known ND hater uh, out on the trail. You know, anytime they can bring up a negative of Notre Dame, it, it's they got just they got the card. Like, you know, if you're going to go for two or not in the game, the, you pull out the card. If they're going up against Notre Dame, they pull out their Notre Dame card. And you got to think with running backs, that's an easy one to set to sell them. It's like, look, these guys don't play. You know, if you come in, you're going to have to know all this stuff. We just want you to come to our school, and we're going to let you do you. We're going to give you the football and let you run. I, to me, that's like seems like the easiest thing to think about what they're doing on the recruiting trail. And with Autry Denson not being the aggressive recruiter that you would like with these types of athletes, does that all make sense? I mean, I, I guess I'm asking a question, but I'm I'm proclaiming it. Um, I just want to be validated is not crazy <laughs> does, does that all make sense does that feel like that could change now uh with the change of our running back uh coach yeah it'll be interesting to see the type of leash they give the guys where if it's you know they make a mistake like avery davis did or dexter williams did the year before and then they just sit them and are like it's almost like they held a bit of a not like a grudge against them but that's got to be tough mentally so i think this year um i think early in the season we're going to see a lot of the guys get looks because I think Kelly just wants to see who is going to step up this year and the hope that 
I think throughout, you know, spring ball and even the early fall, there's not going to, I don't think Kelly's going to proclaim that this is our guy. He's, you know, I think he's going to really try to open it up and hopefully with that, give the guys a little bit more room over the first few weeks to see who develops. But I mean, I totally agree that it's, it's not a tough place to play when you look at the history and some of the running backs who've come in and just haven't necessarily exploded onto the scene like you would assume they would out of high school. I just want to add my two cents about Lance Taylor. Um, I was excited about Autry Dents in the hire, and, and obviously that didn't work out, and we've, we've talked ad nauseum about that. Uh, but this guy recruited and coached Bryce Love. He recruited J.J. Arcega-Whiteside uh, to Stanford. He only has three seasons as a running backs coach, although he's a former running back and his father was a running back. I don't know how much that plays. Um, but his kind of recruiting um, strongholds were Alabama, California, the Carolinas, uh, South Florida, and Tennessee. And if he can make inroads in those places or possibly, I don't know, Illinois and Virginia, where there's a couple of uh, uh, highly recruited running backs who are currently looking at Notre Dame, um, <laughs> you know. I, I, I would be I would be a big Lance Taylor fan, I guess I would say. So I, that's the thing that most excites me about, um, you know, hit, him hitting the ground running and, uh, you know, and possibly unlike Denson, actually closing the deals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, all right, guys, we're uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there with uh, with our running back talking. Unless you guys got anything else to add to it. I'll take silence as a no. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Something we've been do- we're doing some different things in the podcast, y'all, since we've kind of revamped this thing with the retirements. And uh, so this week we're just we're just going to do a sound off, and uh, each one of us is going to get a time frame and and just drone on about whatever it is on your mind, uh, uh, Notre Dame football or not, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> we'll check the stats later to see when they stop listening. Um, so Jude, let, let's just start with you. The sound off. Uh, what's the last thing you got to say here? Uh, the Notre Dame women's lacrosse team improved to four and zero today with a nineteen ten victory over the Ohio State University, who was previously undefeated coming into the game. Um, the the Irish recorded single game program records with twenty three draw controls and seventeen assists. Uh, Andy Aldave broke her own single game record with sixteen draw controls. And Maddie Howe, who you probably heard me talk endlessly about, if you actually read my coverage of women's lacrosse on one foot down, had 12 points today, which ties the most in a single game in program history. So congratulations to those ladies. They're 4-0. They play Kent State on Sunday, uh, probably on their way to 5-0. Haven't opened up the ACC slate yet. And obviously, UNC's got a good team this year. Uh, Duke and Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse is always for- formidable. So uh, we'll see when the rubber hits the road with the ACC schedule, but right now they are looking great. That's about as professional. That's too professional for this podcast. <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was fantastic. <laughs> well, great. So let me let me ask you a quick question, and this is going against what uh, I already said. <laughs> what, uh, what, <laughs> well, uh, what are the ladies' chances this year? Uh, conference, conference crown and all that. You know, they were picked by the the know-it-alls to finish sixth in the ACC. Ah! So, so we're coming yeah. after them. Yeah. So right now, I think they're exceeding expectations. I mean, this is exactly what we thought uh, it should have looked like last year when they had a, a really disappointing finish. They got they did, they missed the NCAA tournament. Um, they have a high, they've had highly recruited classes with the exception of, uh, this past year, 
Uh, Andy Aldavi, who I previously mentioned, was the number one ranked overall prospect by uh, Inside Lacrosse Magazine. Um, so they, the classes are the previous classes have been thought highly of, and and they lost some senior leadership last year that they really fully never recovered from. So I, I'm hopeful. I didn't expect as much as we've gotten so far, um, but I'm I'm very excited. And if Maddie and, and Andy continue to tear it up, they're only sophomores. So we got, uh, you know, two and a half more, two and three quarters more seasons of this, which is great. Well, all right. I'm sold. I, I love a good <laughs> rubbing it in the face of people. So they take a six in the ACC. I'm buying in and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm paying close attention to that this year. So look forward to tomorrow. Jude's uh, women's uh, lacrosse play. Column's here uh, here on one foot down, and uh, Philip, let's uh, with one L. Yeah. So let's my to you. Thank, first of all, thank you for uh, for coming on the podcast. Your first appearance on here, one of many that we hope for you and for uh, the rest of the staff. That way, everybody kind of understands our voice. You know, and sometimes it's easy to read and think you know somebody. Um, you know, reading their articles every week, and then you hear about a podcast and go, you know, maybe that guy is an idiot. <laughs> maybe he's just thinking all over the map and I didn't quite get this set. or at least that's what I hope they think about with me uh, <laughs> so again thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, yeah, sound off here on your last thought no thanks for thanks for having me on I look forward to uh, coming back on here and hopefully having a little bit of clearer brain next time I come on um, I think it was a bit, bit jumbled but that's just kind of how it goes so my sound off is um, I got a bone to pick with everyone who gets upset about spring football because i love it um i think it's 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 a pile of hot garbage in like the best way possible and i love hearing all of the small reports coming out of spring ball as well as watching the the spring game highlights um i think that's for me the like best thing to do to like perfectly wean me back into football when it's getting like desperation time and so i have a big i struggle when there's not football to watch i, I get bored um, so I love when it spring ball kind of like hooks me back in just enough. And so for all the people saying, uh, why do you care? It's just spring ball. It doesn't mean anything. It's me injecting football back into my veins. So I love it. And I hope that, um, that we get a lot of spring ball love this year. And I'll, I'll try to do even some more covering just to show how much I love it. Well, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. And I'm a big spring ball, like skeptic, like, uh, for, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I will, I will roll my eyes very hard at, at all the at all the reports coming out. But over the but I will say over the last couple of years, I've I've just used it more as as a uh, a better tool uh, for the fall. So I've come to appreciate it a little bit more. Um, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see how much it wins me over this year <laughs> with all with all the Darnell Yule going back to t- defensive tackle talk. Let's 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 get him uh, hyped up here. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, so that, that leaves it to me, and and of course, uh, if I'm going to sound off on something, it's, it should be right into uh, into my brand. And so we're going to talk about uniforms for a second here. Uh, next year, Notre Dame does not have a Shamrock Series game, which is awesome. If you've read any of my stuff, you know I can't stand the Shamrock Series, and it has nothing to do with the uniforms at all. Period. It has everything to do with poor scheduling and just a dated model that needs to go the hell somewhere else. Um, but so. Much like in 2017, uh, we have all these home games. Now, this is a brand issue where Under Armour would like to have another jersey to sell, another jersey to show out. 
And we broke the news uh, in the summer of 2017 about um, Notre Dame was going to wear some alternate uniforms uh, late in the season. And we had pinpointed it to the Navy game. And a couple of months later, we were, we were proven correct. Uh, well, they announced that's exactly what they're doing. And that's when they came out with the, with the Rockney Heritage uniforms, um, which I think a lot of people thought were pretty cool. Uh, they're a, a little odd uh, with the brown leather shoes. Uh, but uh, but overall, it was a good look. It, it, it was a good line. So not just the jersey. Remember, that's not just the, the most important thing. It's what can they build off of that with pullovers and T-shirts and hats and all that. And I think if you look at all the stuff Under Armour has done for Notre Dame outside of their normal uh, gear, the Rockney Heritage stuff has been some of the some of the better looking stuff and probably some of the best selling stuff, too, as well. Um, Certainly more so than the uh, the Shamrock Series stuff from uh, the Yankees game. So, but looking at this year, we have nothing, right? We have no Shamrock Series to fall on. And I think what we saw with like with that Navy game in 2017, and then last year uh, with Florida State is they're putting this alternate jersey on Senior Day, which I have massive issues with. First of all, being a player in his last year, last game in Notre Dame Stadium, has been in the regular blue and gold his whole career, right? And then now, when he has got his family out there, all these pictures, your last moments of playing inside that stadium, and you're forced to wear a uniform that you've never worn before inside a stadium. I have massive uh, problems with that. So, um uh, <laughs> Anyways, I'm just kind of hoping that this year, if they do do that, they don't do it on senior day. Senior day this year is going to be Boston College. And I just feel that there's too much <laughs> bad blood. There's too much old history there of an alternate uniform of BC and also a senior day game against BC that you can move it back up. And Navy is sitting right there uh, the week before. So if they want to do that, I am just imploring. I know what's going to happen. I know we're going to have an alternate uniform game. Um, look, Notre Dame, Under Armour, Navy is sitting right there. It's a perfect time to do it. While it is against bad taste for many to do a camo uniform, I think maybe that might be the good time. Although I know I will get shouted down by many for that. I 1,000% uh, disagree. Yes, I'm sorry. You, I was going to let you, ha I was gonna I, let I know, you I, have I, your time. I was pausing. I, I, I knew you were lurking there waiting to shout me down. But uh, at any rate, um, I, I know it's not the most important thing in the world, but it is something that becomes important when that time comes. Well, we're, we're sitting here in February and I'm talking about it. But let me tell you, it is an important thing uh, come the season time. People want to talk about it. People want to know about it. The Shamrock Series last year caused all sorts of issues. And in fact, the, the, the Shamrock Series uniform last year was so bad um, with PR and perception wise by many, including myself, that that's what, ha that's why the green Jersey came out last year. That's why Notre Dame finally backed uh, a green out because Under Armour had to get some dough back y'all, you know, they had to sell some gear that wasn't selling. Um, so anyway, so that's it for me. I just wanted to state if you're going to do it, don't do it against BC. And uh, I think with that, we're going to, we're just going to roll out here and uh, thanks for listening everybody. Go Irish. Go Irish, speak gophers. Go Irish.